stupid. He comes across in front of me every single time he overtakes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Now available for less than $10.95 a week, welcome back to Motorsport 101. <laughs> Hey y'all, RJ O'Connell, Ryan King, say hello Ryan. Hey, what's up? Uh, Cam Buckley's here too. Hello. For Motorsport 101, welcome to episode 216. Now, for all of you who left um, all that negative feedback on how much we just went on and on and on about how Jonathan Ray was the greatest superbike rider in the world. You're thinking there is no way they're going to do this again. Once MotoGP rolls up in Thailand, psych, you thought wrong. <laughs> A ball in. Mark Marquez did the thing. I Mark know Mar you're all shocked. Oh, we're so shocked, though. I'm getting my CV ready because I heard there's a big position available at the monolith. Oh, God, it's a it's been a busy weekend. Uh, yeah. So MotoGP happened and Mark Marquez did indeed win his eighth world championship and it sits in the premier class and a final quarter final lap shootout with Fabio Cordero, who's got to be feeling sick of this by now. <laughs> his gas tank certainly is sick of him punching it. Yeah. Um, we'll get into all the action that was the Thai Grand Prix from Chang International Circuit in Boriram as Mark, has, Mark Marquez wins his eighth championship. Also covering the action in Moto2 with uh, Luca Marini winning there. And interesting developments in Moto3 that had championship implications attached to it. Oh, man, were there championship implications. We will also cover the latest in Formula E silly season, IndyCar silly season, the Super GT DTM crossover race at the Hockenheim ring, developments within Motorsport Network, Formula One news, and taking at Formula One drivers to task for very reckless and hateful comments on social media, which got one of our main hosts involved. Yes, Dre is not here. Don't worry, Dre is not not here because he was too busy getting into fights with uh, with washed up Formula One drivers. That's either here nor there. Oh, and most importantly, if you're listening to this live as we're recording, we're going to be at Bathurst. We're going to be. We're not going to be at Bathurst. No, I could not afford that flight, RJ. Let me let me retake. For those of you listening to the podcast live as it's being recorded, we're going to Michelin Raceway Road Atlanta for Petite Lama. Some of us are. Uh, King, I wish we could take it long. Yeah, I, I wish the uh, my employer would give me the time off. But they're like, hey, how about only Saturday? And I'm like, that's not going to work. Nah, nah, fam. So some of us will be at Petite Lama. I know I'll be there. Cam, you'll be there. Hell Some yeah. other people would be there include uh, co-host emeritus Adam Johnson is going to be there in the United States. You can tell you can tell him because he will be uh, he'll be drooling over the vets. I follow him at AJ Can't Fail on Twitter. That's also his YouTube channel, and you can also watch him stream. He's been playing a lot of the new uh, Grid game, um, so he'll be there. Krista Hardy will be there. I'll be there. Um, it's going to be a good time. 
Um, we'll cover that plus the week ahead, including the Bathurst 1000 and the Japanese Grand Prix. Weather permitting, of course. Uh, in the meantime, place you can find us. We are on uh, on uh, motorsport101.com, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101, on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. If you want to follow us personally for whatever strange, bizarre, sick and depraved reason you can at Harris 101 HD at Ryan Eric King. That's with two K's at RJ O'Connell. That's with two N's and two L's and at C Buckley 917. That's with no vowels. And of course, for just $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. You can listen to all of our shows live as they're being recorded. A very special thanks to the likes of Jason, Charles and Resi from Ungodly hours on the last day that Pepsi Cola will be in Indonesia. Admittedly, in I'm drinking a bottle of Cool Chris Pepsi right now. Oh, don't rub it in. Oh God. Um. So yes, all of that. Um. We're well. I'd say we just get right into it because uh we have the new champion, same as the old one. Let's talk about the Thai Grand Prix right after this. So let me tell you, Cam, that I was very impressed with Mark Marquez's victory, but I'm not impressed by the fact that he continues to ride with Honda instead of going to another team so he could truly challenge himself like the great one, Valentino Rossi. R.J. O'Connell, where was that next Honda on the racetrack? Can you tell me that? So it was top 10. You had Takanakagami finishing in 10th place. That's where the next Honda was. Really, 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 R.J.? All I'm saying is that Mark Marquez, if he is to have any shred of a chance of proving himself as the as the great one, then he will need to switch to Honda. He'll need to switch to Yamaha. He'll need to switch to Suzuki. And that would make him the best of all time. But until then, his legacy is still incomplete, Cameron. RJ, I have it on good authority. There's people in the paddock saying if he was on a KTM or an Aprilia, he'd be getting podiums. That he is, doesn't need that, to prove anything else. The man has eight titles. And next year, he's going to have nine. That is ridiculous. You think so? You think so with that Yamaha team and what they could do, especially if they can bring Carterara into the factory team? Really? Not, not RJ, RJ, all I watched, all I watched in that race was Mark Marquez playing with his food for all but the last lap. But you missed that Fabio Cordoraro dominated the race, Cameron. Mark Marquez was sitting watching that Yamaha. He led 25 out of 26 laps, and he would have had the pass for the win down if not for the fact that Mark Marquez just got lucky with a better run out of the last corner. Okay, so it wasn't an over-under pass, was it, Skid? It was a very well-executed move, and he was very unlucky not to have held it. Let me tell you something, RJ. There's only one lap that matters if you're leading, and it's the last one. 
Yeah, Mark Marquez won the won the Thai Grand Prix and with it his eighth championship king. Oh my god. Did you see the finish to this one? Oh, I definitely saw the finish. I saw that, that finish like finish. 10 times. Oh my goodness. Yeah. MotoGP was kind enough to put the final two laps of the race on YouTube. And it played out just as you expected. Fabio Cordero from pole position led pretty much from lights until the white flag. Mark Marquez blew past him going into the final lap. Corderaro thinks he's got the move done in the final corner, but Marquez makes the up and under move, wins the race, and with it, his eighth world championship and his sixth in the premier class. What else is there to say that hasn't already been said about this guy? <laughs> he's 26. He's racking up titles left, right, and center. And for that whole race, in that uh, very undisputed-esque skit, he was really just sitting behind Quattararo, just playing with his food. You could tell Marquez wasn't really trying until the last lap. Yeah, he, he knew that... It, it really felt like that race, he, he had the championship in mind. Looking to... He was mainly looking to win the championship, and if he if he had to win the race to do it, so be it. But his main focus was just closing closing the title race, right? Because or by so the last thought. yeah, so by the yeah, so about the midway point of the race, Quartararo leads from pole position. Marquez gets a great jump from the outside of the front row, and those two just pull away from the pack, leaving. The only man with even a microscopic chance of stealing the title away, Andrea Davizioso, and the rest of the pack completely in the dust. Yeah, they were all helpless to watch those two just ride away at the front. Yeah, they were just trading fast lap times as the rest of the pack just fought for the final place on the podium. Uh, Vinales um, was uh, what thought he had a chance at competing, but he just. Um, he had a full fuel load and he just couldn't get any traction down out of the quarters and he fell out of contention for the win as a result. Mm. Yeah, for him, it wasn't good enough, but man, I, I gotta tell you, that was a that was a damn good finish. I, I'm guessing everybody's seen by now the uh, the slow motion of Mark Marquez's back wheel coming up, up, cupping up <laughs> under braking. Yeah, you see, the thing is that's not that uncommon for the Honda. It's very uncommon for the Yamaha because Quattararo was riding that bike out of its fairing to try and stay ahead. He really was. He was absolutely riding a, a, a superb race. Uh, just, just unlucky in the end of lost it on the last lap. And, you know, as we mentioned, he's got to be getting sick of this by now. But yeah. For Marquez, fact, this was, this was not an easy weekend for Mark Marquez. Was it not? Because on the oh very first practice God. session, on the oh, very first God. practice session, he high sides it out of view of the television cameras. Um, I, I've just, seen just, the photographs. And the, the photograph I tweeted, and Mark Marquez was pretty much uninjured, so I waited until I could tweet it, but record scratch, freeze frame. Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. Yeah, so he comes down. He <clears throat> must have messed up his back, did he not? He had a, I believe it was a 26G impact with the ground. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lewis. Oh. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think if you hit at that speeds in a car, uh, you have to go. You have to go ride an ambulance. Yep. Yeah. And um, to uh, to say the least, went to the hospital, had a uh, pretty bad bruising to his back and I believe his left leg. Came back, got on the bike for FB2, and went faster than he did in FB1. What is this man made out of? And I think bullshit. only... Uh, He's made of bullshit. <laughs> and the only thing that arguably stopped him from getting pole position for this race was the fact that he low-sided it. Corderaro took a, yet another pole position, his fifth of the year, if I recall. Yes, which now means he has the second most polls, I believe, in the Premier class out of anyone in their rookie season, only beaten by, you guessed it, Mark Marquez. Yeah, Mark Marquez's FB2 flyer was on his second time lap, by the way. It's not right. It's not fair. Tylene gave us another really, really good finish. Uh, we had a grandstand finish last year and a grandstand finish this year. So from the MotoGP race report, on the final lap, Marquez tried again to pass Corderaro at turn three, and this time it worked. He pulled his Honda down to an apex and then blasted onwards to turn four. Corderaro had been strong in the final sector for the entire race, however. He built in momentum all the way from turn eight, closing through every corner. He made one massive lunge at turn 12 as the enormous tie audience watched on. Going slightly wide and opportunistic, Marquez didn't settle for a safe second, sliced back through to take the win on the run of the line by a tenth of a second, while Corderaro had to settle for second, Maverick Vinales couldn't get into the action, and again, in the end, was third. A very, very distant third. Yeah, it's it's only a second, but that had to have felt like an eternity. Um, with the two of them, with the two at the front fighting on the last lap, it was, I believe, a larger gap before uh, before the final lap. I imagine the MotoGP social media team were very relieved that they didn't have to to report uh, of both Fabio's win and Marquez winning the title for the sake of the fact that Corderar's first win would have been overshadowed by Mark Marquez winning his eighth championship. Yeah. Getting confirmation from our form from our MotoGP insider uh, (laughs) who's who's uh, giving us our show notes here. Yeah. And, uh, Mark Marquez had a little celebration after the fact. They brought out a goddamn pool table. (laughs) And thank God he sunk that eight ball. Oh, God. That would have been so (laughs) embarrassing. If he fucking missed. He's been taking taking lessons from, like, Jimmy White or Steve Davis or somebody. I cannot imagine. I don't know if he plays billiards in his spare time. But I know if that had been me, I don't know if I'm sinking that eight ball just by itself. Oh, perfectly placed the way to this. If he doesn't sink that eight ball, we have to annul the championship and bring it to the next round in Motegi. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just following up on last year where Marquette's got to level seven and they brought out an entire fully functional coin-op arcade machine for the celebrations. We're not even getting that on our mobile platforms. Oh, that's a very... Very good question. Oh, goodness. Yeah, this was a fantastic finish. That comes back from 26G Impact. Um, for a bit of context, um, whenever a professional golf ball player hits a ball on the driver, that's 19 Gs. You crash a car at 64 clicks, it's 35 Gs. 
Marquez's was about that. Yeah, except without that. a car protecting him. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll, uh, again, um, we'll try not to go on too much about how fantastic Mark Marquez is, but I have from MotoGP.com um, just some of the highlights of Mark Marquez's dominance in statistics. Um, he's the youngest rider to reach the milestone of eight world championships, surpassing Mike Halewood. Um, he's only only Rossi and Agostini have won three or more sits or more premier class titles. Um, goodness. You, you just want to go through this list and just uh, point out some of the highlights because yeah, you consider that Mark has says he's been riding better than he was in 2014 where he didn't lose. for the first 10 rounds. Yeah. He just eclipsed McDoin as Honda's most successful premier class rider in terms of titles. And the and the rider with the most pole positions across all categories in Grand Prix motorcycle racing. Yeah. And my favorite one is from this year. He still hasn't finished below second. He and the finished. one time he fell off the bike, it's an electronics issue when he was leading by five seconds. Yeah. It wasn't all his fault. Yeah. In his own words, this is better than his 2014 season. And in his 2014 season... He didn't lose until over halfway into the season. He's won at least eight races over five of his seasons in any class of Grand Prix racing. Every record is his to take. He could take them by the time he's 30. It's yeah. Like, I don't know if he could pass Agostini for most world champions. He's on the pace. He's on the pace, but it's a big ass to get 15 world championship titles. Yeah, he needs what seven more. Yep. With the way he's clicking them off right now, it's not that unrealistic. Especially when you consider, you know, this year he won the title this early. This is the first time he's, you know, last year he won the title and his shoulder was popping in and out of socket while he was celebrating. Yeah, he rode hurt most of the year, and it didn't matter. Whatever Andrea Davizioso and Ducati could throw at him just wasn't enough. Same case this year, and he is healthy, and he hasn't fallen off but once all year. He could surpass the the points, the total points scored, and the points per round records in a MotoGP season. Yes, which of course were held by his now Repsol Honda teammate, Jorge Lorenzo. More on him later. Yeah, but yeah, but just like the longevity to get seven more. It's not like back when Augustine was riding where he got 10 championships in a five year span. Yeah, because, of course, then you can ride in multiple displacement classes at once. Yeah, that leads me to like an an interesting topic that came up. Um, I said it facetiously, but do you think Mark Marquez would leave honda anytime soon to try and see if he could just see if he could win it with a different manufacturer to try and test himself i don't know it it doesn't it doesn't feel like it on one hand some detractors certain uh certain of those who are dressed in yellow in the audience will believe so that he needs to do what rossi did and move to another manufacturer Regardless of whether that manufacturer is better or worse, because 
let me tell you, the Honda is not the best bike right now mm-hmm. in anyone but his hands. But I don't see it happening because Marquez only cares about one thing. Winning and winning some more. Yeah. And, and, and if especially- he's doing that, if he's doing that on the Honda, regardless of if the Honda is a vicious bastard of a bike or not, he's if he keeps winning, I don't think he cares. Right. No, I, I completely agree there. I know Honda, their brass are saying that they might have a more rideable bike next year. And if that bike is more rideable without sacrificing any of its speed, Marquez's hands, oh, buddy, look out. Yeah, and that's Honda needs that right now, not so much because Marquez won't win on the bike, because he is winning on the bike, but because they're losing the team's championship right now solely on the factor of Lorenzo being unable to even score a top 10 on that bike. In fact, no one else on that bike is really capable of scoring a top 10 right now. Marquez has at least five race wins in the premier class over seven seasons. Not even Rossi or Agostini had a record that long. Yeah. And with, with Marquez being the only one who can work the front end of the Honda the way he can, you know, there is a huge disparity between the other riders. The Honda might not be bad per se, but he's the only one who can make it work. Yeah, and he's consistently outperforming to very good, if not great, LCR Honda riders and Takaki Nakagami and Cal Crutchlow, and he is outperforming his own teammate, multi-time world champion Jorge Lorenzo, who we know is hurt, and unless he comes up with a massive second win in the years to come, we may have already seen the best of what he has to offer. I mean, it's not like what we saw with Jonathan Ray this season. He didn't have to come back from being completely on the floor, uh, trying to get up at the count of nine to save his championship hopes midway through the season. No, he was comprehensively dominant from the start of the season and just never looked back as he began to pull away from Davizioso. The sign was there from the first race when we went to, uh, what is the first race, Qatar? Qatar. That was when we were yes. all talking about uh, Ducati's launch device <laughs> and thinking they had yeah. a trick bike. And yeah. then and, the end, and where Honda beat him by an inch. Yeah, and where Honda has traditionally been weak and Ducati had this borderline illegal bike and Marquez lost by a fairing. That was the first warning shot and it's just progressed from there. And yeah, to bring up a point that our MotoGP insider brings up that, yeah, the, the Honda's built around Mark Marquez's riding style. His riding style is extremely outlandish. The fact that, like, the idea of him going to another team means that team needs to basically drop everything and redesign their bike around Mark Marquez. And you can't do that in the span of a single offseason. No, you really can't. He would really have to be starting over from scratch. I think Matt, Matt Oxley uh, talked about it in a recent article where a rival engineer for a team said, the holy grail in motorcycle racing is a device that can save front-end slides. Honda has one. Its name is Mark Marquez. <laughs> that is Matt Oxley on Twitter, by the way. Great follow. Um, famous for one of the greatest quotes in, uh, in all of motorcycle journalism earlier this year. He didn't fall off. He didn't fall off. He didn't. Fall the fuck off. (laughs) 
He didn't fucking fall off. What the actual fuck? Um, yeah. It was clear daylight between Marquez, Cordero, then a bit of a gap to Vinales, and then the rest of the field just fighting for scraps in the end. Um, geez. Um, yeah, so Davi... He had a he thought he had a chance at the title. He started from the third row, uh, made it all the way to fourth, but ultimately just couldn't make up enough ground. He was eleven seconds off the win at the end. But of course, if it got to that point where he was needing to win out just to stand a chance, um Yeah, you're on the ropes, fam. You ain't coming back. Yeah, it was it was more of a formality than anything. Right. And- it, it- Ducati just didn't, they weren't able to sustain a challenge like they were last year. Because they've lost the definitive straight line speed advantage that they once had over Honda. Uh, Honda seems to have caught them up in that regard. I've got the full results up here. Again, it was Marquez winning ahead of Cordero, uh by 1.71 seconds. Again, go ahead, go, uh, go look up the MotoGP YouTube channel, and then go watch the last two laps. You'll thank us for it later. Efren Fignal was 1.3 seconds off the win. Davi, 11.2 off the win. Just held off Alex Rins from fifth position. Who, and uh, Frankie Morbidelli had a uh, had a very positive race in sixth. Uh, you kind of get the feeling like maybe that was, uh, it could have been a top five finish for the, uh, for I guess the, uh, who we now consider the other guy at the Patronus Yamaha team, who's who's been having a pretty good season, if not for the fact that his, Rookie teammate has been completely overshadowing him on the same bike. Through yeah, no Morbidelli had a positive race. It did. That puts him. Yeah, good result for him. Uh, Yoan Mir seventh, Valentino Rossi in eighth. Danilo Valentino Petrucci. Rossi now the guy referred to as the other Yamaha rider out of the <laughs> four. The, <laughs> the other Yamaha rider. And I now see a yellow mob approaching my house. It has been nice knowing all of you. Remember, Uh, the hat stays on while we make love. (laughs) (laughs) Danilo Petrucci and Knight. Words probably said by Lando Norris. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, Interesting developments out of all of this here. Again, it really was much of the focus was on the fight at the front and that's uh that's of course to be expected i mean there were some good action throughout the throughout the mid pack um yeah you have to wonder what would have happened if finales didn't struggle so much early on uh rins made a good push through the field uh morbidelli had a rins good rage. needs to get better at qualifying yeah. he has the race pace he needs to get better at qualifying uh definitely uh Definitely don't doubt that. Um, Petrucci in ninth, Nakagami eighth, Pekka Bagnai in eleventh, Cal Crutchell in twelfth, Paul Espargaro on thirteenth. Paul uh, Espargaro. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. So we may have alluded to recently that Paul Espargaro suffered a wrist injury that we expected to keep him out for the rest of the season. Well, S- similarly to Mark Marquez, he is also made of bullshit because uh, so- he got on that bike. With 14 pins and a plate in his wrist. Yeah, it took a surgery and a week of intense, quote, 24-hour therapy to be fit in time for this race. And then he had a massive save on Friday. 
you're thinking, oh, geez, he's going to re-break that. Again, Polis Spargo is putting his potential Moto MotoGP future on the line to try and score as many points as he can for the Apologies King dog shit KTM, because <laughs> that's what it is at this stage, to pull it in a 13th place. I mean, KTM at this point is basically just resorted to, please don't go, Paul. Please. So, so Paul please. said this to the monolith after the race. At the end, three points is quite a lot. Last year, we were very happy with three points. Now, when we finish in that condition, looks like it's, that, it's, that it's not enough, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> that bike is a that bike is shameful. Again, they have to take engine mounting bolts out of the frame to make it faster across a lap. He salvaged some family dignity because it was Alasis Spargo who was running solidly in the top 10 for most of this race until his bike broke down. Yep. Aprilia, you fucking, you fucking <laughs> disgrace. Imagine Aprilia is finally getting their act together and then all of a sudden they break down out of the top 10. Yeah, and the the yearly roast of Aprilia's bike came in uh, in response to this happening. It happened last time out from Iannone. This time it came from uh, Alicia Spargaro. Which means they're probably both getting fired and replaced by people who also won't be able to make that fucking sled work. I'm watching this and, like, there's no way he should save this. Not with that wrist yeah, injury. Yeah, that save is ridiculous by uh, Paul on the KTM. And uh, right. Jack Miller... Boy, Jack Miller, everything was looking so good for him. He qualified on the second row, then the bike doesn't get off the grid, so he has to take a pit lane start. In fairness to Jack, he didn't break procedure the la like the last time we had a bike stall on the grid. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Ah, uh, man. Uh, Jack just edged his way into the points by the end, finishing 14th. But if not for him having to take that pit lane start, you have to wonder what could have been for him with uh, Andrea Iannone finishing in 15th. Outside the points, Miguel Oliveira, Esteve Rufat, the aforementioned Jorge Lorenzo finishing 54 uh. seconds off his teammate. He's got to hope that that bike's more rideable. Or that he's more hurt than we initially. I, I think. think it's I think it's a mixture of both, and just we know how good. Even a year ago, Lorenzo was winning races on a Ducati. We know how good he is, and it's. I'm not the biggest Lorenzo fan. I never have been, but it's horrible to see him like this. Right. Um, Lewis says that uh, Miller hit the kill switch on his bike by mistake. That's just. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. He said, I believe afterwards, I've never hit it before and I will never hit it again. You got to hope. Jeez, uh, <laughs> that 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 just sounds like me and my previous single life. But that's besides the point. Ooh, uh, spicy. Yeah. Oliveira, Rabat, Renzo, Carol Abraham and Afis Siren, your non-scoring uh, finishers. Two DNFs. We mentioned Alicia Spargro entering the pits and retiring. And Mika Calio hit the deck five minutes into the race. Um, as KTM had said, that uh, Calio needs to show something a bit uh, a bit more if he's to keep his ride for 2020. But get some style points, I guess. <laughs> if I was, if I was him, am I? I mean, granted, 
as we've discussed after KTM and Johan Zarco fell out, who in the hell else are they going to get? Uh, they better find someone. Uh, the KTM is as unrideable as the Honda, but not actually fast. Uh, what's 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 Ben Spees doing nowadays? Because there's get there's the some. Fuck out of here. You want to call up a you want to call up a man uh, in Australia, probably fishing right now. Uh, no, you know he doesn't want any of that. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to want this. That's no. about your only hope left, Jay. <laughs> Danny Pedrosa is not walking through that door. I mean, he Danny could. He's, he he's is a could. KTM test rider, but he has I don't. Explicitly said he doesn't want to race. <laughs> no. Good for him. Good for him, honestly. Um, so we get into the championship points again with 100 points available and now a 110 point advantage with four rounds left. Mark Marquez is your reigning, defending, and still MotoGP champion of the world. We are witnessing the age of perhaps the greatest rider we've seen in a long time. Greatest of his era. Possibly if, ever. And if, yeah, and if he keeps going, greatest of any era. I agree. An if, and he still has four more very winnable races left. That's one's at Mategi, Phillip Island, Sepang, and Valencia. Come on, Fabio, prove us wrong! <laughs> uh, uh, I, I feel like it's just going to go the same way it has. Marquez playing with his food for 25 laps and then just blowing right on by. Yeah, you got a feeling like Corderaro's day is going to come. I mean, oh, he's too good for it not to. Right. He's he's really uh, we had an interesting chat uh, that he might be the one guy that can consistently take it to Mark Marquez. I know he's 20 years old and we've seen other satellite Yamaha riders um, enjoy success at first and then flame out as soon as they move out of greener pastures. Hi, Johan. Hi, Cal. Uh, but it seems like by all indications, yeah, Fabio's the he's the real deal. Yeah, I have to agree. 325 to 215. Davizioso looks like he's got second place in the championship locked up because he has a 48 point lead over Alex Rins in third on one sit seven. He's only four points ahead of Vinales and just five points ahead of Danilo Petrucci, fourth and fifth, respectively. Rossi sits on a 145. He's only two points ahead of the aforementioned rookie of the year contender Fabio Corderaro in seventh. Jack Miller, eighth on 119. Crutchlow, ninth on 102. Morbidelli, 10th on 90. Paul Espargo, 11th on 80. Nakagami, 12th on 74. Mir, 13th on 58. Alicia Espargo, 14th on 46. And Pekka Bagnaya, 15th on 34 points. Again, MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3 are going to be back uh, at Twin Ring Mategi for the next round, the Japanese Motorcycle Grand Prix. Uh, of Moto2, <clears throat> Moto3. Should get into that. Y'all. <clears throat> King? Yes. Could you imagine a, mo- a KTM bike competing for a championship 2019 in Moto2? No, because I thought I thought KTM were packing it up and going home. Well, evidently not the case. Uh, Luca Marini did uh, take the headlines. He did win for the first time in over a year in the Moto2 race. But 
Brad Bender got Iker Laclona at the line to take second place. Um, Augusto Fernandez and Alex Marquez finished fourth and fifth, respectively. So Bender is just slowly creeping his way back into title contention yeah, by this he point. Is 44 points back at the moment, and it's 25 for a win. It is, oh God, it is closer than you think it would be. <laughs> All it, would ta- all it takes is one drop from one of the people ahead of him in the title fight, and it's wide open. As the well, implosion, he's only four points back of Fernandez in second. Yeah, yeah. So here is a fun stat for you all: through those first seven races, Brad Bender had forty-four points. The eight races since then, he scored one hundred and thirty-six points. Ooh, and what in the past eight races he's only finished off the podium twice? Yeah, he was second in Assen, second at the Saxon Ring. He didn't fi- he didn't get points in Brno, but he won in Austria. Um, scored points again at Silverstone, uh, ten points in San Marino, won at Aragon, and second again in Thailand. Brad Bender is mounting a, a serious championship charge, and uh, Augusto Fernandez with two. Blackluster races in a row. Um, boy, Aragon really uh, left him vulnerable to lose second position. And uh, there's four races left. And what's always been the knock against Alex Marquez is that, you know, he can't put together a full season. Yeah. And it, like he has put in the work because the only person who's outscored, outscored Brad Bender in the past eight races has been Alex Marquez. And that's kind of Bender's problem is for all the points he's gaining, Marquez is pulling away. Yeah, if if this is the new and improved Alex Marquez that is ready to step up to MotoGP, uh, we're going to find out. Uh, we're going to find out over these next four races. Again, he's uh, he's playing cautious, watching Fernandez. Uh, he better start paying attention to Bender because in the last eight races, races Bender has outscored Marquez. It's it's going to be very interesting, considering that uh, the last four rounds of the season have never been like. Obviously, Mark Mark like Alex Marquez has been very inconsistent all over the place, but the last four races has been just as like it's it's his career in you know in a four race stint where like last year I think in the last four race stint like he consistently finished. But he didn't do anything spectacular. I think he got like a, a podium at the finale last year. And then the yes. year before that, he won in Japan. But uh, I think uh, he didn't finish on the podium the rest of the year. I think he might have had one DNF during that span. But like, he does he's not a spectacular rider the last four rounds of the season. So all Bender needs to do is just get on the podium a couple of times. And he has a chance. <laughs> Yep. He has a chance. It's 136 to 113. Bender ahead of Marquez just in the last eight races. Again, this is from a rider who, uh, through much of this season, uh, Brad Bender's best result before we got to Assen was a fifth, was a fourth at Le Mans. And yes, Lewis has corrected me. Bender has outscored Marquez in the last eight races, 136 to 113. <laughs> yeah. I did also want to point out something here from the, for a couple of things from this Thai Grand Prix. Um, the implosion of Lorenzo Baldessari 
continues in Moto2. <laughs> he won three of the first four. Uh, he finished 25th after crashing out early. Got back in the race, but nowhere near the points. And he has not touched the podium since winning at Jerez. Consistency matters, everyone. Yep. Don't, let, don't let anyone tell you different. NASCAR playoffs need not apply. Uh, and Jorge Navarro suffered a, a nightmare of a race, finishing in 17th. Uh, we'll run down the uh, the results from the Moto2 race. Uh, Luca Marini, again, uh, taking the victory. Brad Bender, uh, second, ahead of Iker Laquona in third. Augusta Fernandez, fourth. Alex Marquez in fifth. Jorge Martin in sixth place. Thomas Luthi in seventh. Nicolo Bulliga in eighth. Subkiat Chatra doing it for the home crowd in ninth from 21st <laughs> on the grid. Get in there, son. I am I am I am irrationally pumped about this, by the way. <laughs> Jesus. I'm gonna say see. Yeah, he uh he was down in plum last at one point. He was down in 21st at one point in the race. And then he got all the way up into the ninth spot. That was an incredible ride from uh, from Chantra in to finish in ninth. That was really spectacular. Uh, Marco Bazzacchi in tenth, Nea Bastianini eleventh, Remy Gardner twelfth, Andrea Lucatelli thirteenth, Marcel Schroeder fourteenth, Tetsuda Nagashima in fifteenth. Rounds out point scores among the notable non-scores: Jorge Navarro finishing seventeenth, Lorenzo Varazzari and twenty fifth. Uh, several DNFs, including Cardellus, Sam Lowe's, Passini, Tolovich, Vierke, Manzi, and America's Joe Roberts. It's fine. Uh, championship standings, 224 to 184. Alex Marquez has a 40-point lead over Augusto Fernandez. But now Brad Bender is just 44 points out of the lead. Don't discount the chances of Thomas Ludi in fourth. On, uh, he's 46 points back, and Navarro is just 49 points out in fifth place that that seems to be your battle for the championship and as you mentioned all it takes is for Alex Marquez to put it on the floor just once and uh all those guys from second to fifth they could be right back in this thing yep Luca Marini uh aided by his uh his first win in a long long time you'll want to say that, that was yeah since Malaysia just last season that was his last victory his only victory up at that point now his second career win in MotoGP, he is now sixth place in the championship standings on 151. Baldessari slipping, slipping, slipping down to seventh. Marshall Schroeder eighth. Fabio DiGiantonio. Uh, he's been the story of recent rounds, and now he just didn't finish in the points at all in ninth. Out of Inea Bastianini, he was 10th in the championship. <clears throat> Switching gears to Moto3 for a second. Hey, King. Yes. Um, you remember how we were talking, um, deservedly so, about how Brad Bender has really turned things around in the second half of the season? Yes, we have. Are you ready for us to heap praise upon his uh, his younger sibling, Darrow? I- I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Psych! Not happening! Oh, get, <laughs> get your shit together. Oh, boy. So still winning Moto 3, right? <laughs> uh, funny you mentioned that. Because yes, indeed, Albert Arenas became the 11th different winner of the season. 
All Heron can, it was taken out thanks to his KTM teammate, Daryl Bender. Oh. <laughs> Daryl Bender's riding was unacceptable. A lap later at the notorious final corner, Bender barged too much and wiped out second in the championship, Aaron Cannett, John McPhee, and Tatsuki Suzuki. The championship race had now been blown wide open, and Lorenzo De La Porta was still out in front. Uh, Bender was having a, uh, he was, uh, he was, he was basically living up to his name, dive, nickname Dive Bomb Daryl and uh, Darren. <laughs> I, why do I want to call him Daryl? I don't whatever, know. But, uh, whatever his name is. He goes in the bin. He goes in the bin because you can't ride like that on a motorcycle. You cannot race other people like that. Yeah, you really can't. I'm watching a replay of this. And again, it it's bad enough that... You know, he's trying this really aggressive move. He, he's already bumping into them before they even get to the corner while they're still under braking. Yeah, they Bad didn't even to... get to the corner for the dive bomb to be so, that heavy. After the race, Tatsuki Suzuki uh, basically says, you know, quote, as always, he's just a prick who doesn't give a fuck about other riders. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to ride. We're trying to ride or kill people. He's a prick. Oh my god, Tatsuki Suzuki just let the restrictor plate off. He ain't wrong. And what that did is that's blown the championship wide open because um, Aranis did deny Lorenzo De La Porta the victory, but De La Porta still finished in second. Let's change sports. It's better if we play ping pong than it continues like this. Jesus. What are we doing here? Racing or ping pong? <laughs> Just Sebastian was right. <laughs> Can't wait for the World Ping Pong Championship, guys. Lorenzo De La Porta finishing in second. Alonso Lopez in third. Marcus Ramirez fourth. Dennis Fogia in sixth. Celestino Vietti, your pole sitter, comes in in sixth. Kaido Toba seventh. Stefano Nepa in eighth. Raul Fernandez in ninth. Tony Arbolino. Oh, boy, he had a chance to do some serious championship damage, and then his bike started slowing down, and he had to fight his way back from as low as 20th to finish in 10th in the end. Philippe Salak in 11th, Jumpman Cornfile in 12th, Ricardo Rossi 13th, Sergio Garcia, not the golfer, in 14th, and Makar Yuchenko rounding out the points for Kazakhstan. Very nice, 15th. Very nice. Ooh. And, uh, geez, we weren't done with the trauma here because uh, Ihokura and Andre Mino also had it coming together during the race. <laughs> oh, God. Gotta love Moto3. Yeah. From the uh, from the official report, uh, Andrea Mino was up to fourth at the start of the final lap. Ihokura was wiped out by the Italian at turn one, and for the second race in three rounds, the Italian and the Japanese rider or in the gravel together on the final lap. And how that affects the championship standings is thus. Aaron Cannon still leads by 22. Uh, excuse me. Del Porter still leads. Yeah, now, yeah. That, uh, he now has taken a 20 point lead, 22 point lead over Aaron Cannon. Uh, it's 204 to 182. Del Porter over Cannon. Arbolino now falls to 43 points back. He's on 161. Marcus Ramirez fourth on 136. John McPhee fifth on 126. Boy, that uh, 
that wreck really kind of cost him any bit of the championship, hasn't it? It really mm-hmm. did. Uh, there will be, it looks like uh, John McPhee has Brexited the title race. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, somewhere, Rick Allen's championship implication senses were tingling. Niccolo Antonelli sits on 118, Celestino Vietti on 100, Ami Masia still 8th on uh, 96 points, Dennis Fogia ninth on 92, and Iogura still 10th on 86 points. Uh, again, just a couple more weeks left. We go to uh, the Moto Motorcycle Grand Prix of Japan on October 20th at Twin Ring Motegi in Motegi, Japan. Honda's home race! Mark Marquez is going to be aiming to win there because, as mentioned, you know, Suzuka is only owned by Honda. Motegi is Honda's true home race. They are based very close to Motegi. Yeah. Yeah. They've got their motorsport headquarters, like, literally at the track. (laughs) They have one of the most badass museums on earth there. It's good. I want to go Uh, there. I want to go there, too. But looking back at the weekend, second year in Bury Ram, think you think it was just the first two years were a fluke, or is this is Bury Ram back. real good? Come back every year. Come keep, back every year. Keep coming back. Permanent. Here. Make it permanent. I don't care if Formula One doesn't want to come here. I don't care if Formula. Uh, yeah, one. I don't care. Fuck, as, fuck as Formula as, One. As long fuck as Super Formula GP, One, keep coming yeah. back. Auto GP go to Bury Ram. I don't care. Uh, I don't know about the Super GT thing. That attendance is is plummeting. Like, uh, I, I don't want to get into it, but it's it's plummeting bad. like a Super GT car through a field of cars on it uh, are actually designed for the tires they're on. <laughs> More on that later. More in that in our news section. So yeah, if you have the MotoGP video pass, I highly recommend go ahead catch up on all the weekend's action. Come back in a fortnight's time. Uh, but of course, the bikes don't stop because World Superbikes is going to be back in Argentina next weekend, and then you get to MotoGP and, and Matagi. Right. Um, after this quick musical interlude, looking at the news, we got some commentary, we got a lot of stuff to cover here. And thank you so much for listening in on Motorsport 101. We'll be back shortly. <laughs> Once again, um, King, do you want to grab the deck chairs and grab a cold one? Because uh, I think RJ needs a moment. No, nah, no, nah, I'm going to need to get a folding chair to hit a No Time World Champion. Yes, um, uh, a noted never was. So I noted, so I don't want this take to be about things that have not been, that this person is accomplished or not accomplished. Let's just Let's just call it what it is. Uh, this person that is involved um, is a world champion class athlete and has been for the better part of 15 years. Yes, that's now that's a, that's we preface that because that's why people care about his opinions. Right. And what the other reason why people care about his opinions is because he became a sympathetic character after some mean German kid took away a win he quote unquote deserved. But again, I'm not I'm. I'm disregarding all that for now. Let's mm-hmm. just disregard everything that Mark Webber has accomplished or not accomplished because, well, first of all, 
We're going to start with a story that Sky Sports published with the headline, uh, hundreds of young transgender people are seeking help to turn their original set. Sky's News has learned. Now, if you follow the Mermaids organization from the United Kingdom, they are a they are a support group for transgender children and teenagers based in the United Kingdom. And they had to put out an entire thread about how this article by itself, this group was approached by Sky Sports for research on the subject. Well, Sky News, and, Sky News. Yes, Sky <laughs> News, yes. So Sky News, they, they were approached for support and that basically the reality is that uh, these rates of children um, undoing their transition very, very low, less than 1% in a number of studies. Yes, mermaids had to basically debunk the article because uh, a lot of things that were said in the article were blown way out of proportion and were not fully representative of the actual situation. But a news, uh, a news outlet twisting the truth to get clicks. Never. <laughs> so that's bad. Mark Weber, who again had spent 12 years in Formula One, another three in the World Endurance Championship, giving him 15 cumulative years as a world championship racing driver and is now a featured pundit and commentator for Channel 4's Formula One coverage in the United Kingdom on free air television. Quote tweets it with the quote, now it's called detransitioning. As if this is some kind of joke, as if this is some kind of joke to him, um, to which our very own Dreyfus Rosberg himself, Andre Harrison, came back and said, there is literally nothing funny about this. And he's very much right. There is nothing mm -hmm. funny about this. Mark Webber fancied himself to want to play Rick, uh, Ricky Gervais or some other edgy, stupid internet comedians whose opinions are not really subversive. It's not really being outspoken. It's just being edgy and cruel for no reason at all. And then, rather than rather than come back, take a deep breath, step away from the keyboard, turn off the mobile phone for just five minutes, and just even have a genuine think about it, or even just like reach out to people and say, hey, was I sure, am I sure I, uh, did I step over the line? Uh, what should I do to make this right? Or even no. take the coward's way out and don't reply at all. No, nope. Mark he Weber, did not log off. Mark Weber doubled down saying, look, son, was it meant to be funny? I just find it challenging to stay up to date with all the different terminologies these days. I'm a proud heterosexual, though I don't need to bang on about it. I have gay friends of both genders too. carry on. Now, regardless of how you interpret the first tweet, if you interpret the first tweet as him making a stupid, uninformed joke, all right. But the second tweet, he effectively plays the trans equivalent of, I can't be racist. I have black and Hispanic friends. <laughs> and it's and by by following that up, he doesn't even acknowledge the the group of people that he has offended originally. Yep. So at, at the end of the day, at the very worst, this is reckless. At the very best, it's reckless and insensitive. And at the very worst, Mark Weber is just outed himself as a really cruel and terrible person who, again, as a major platform, as a sports commentator for one of the United Kingdom's largest freight air television networks, and as a brand ambassador for the likes of Porsche and Red Bull. There's nothing funny about this, Mark. You're an idiot. 
Yeah, and in fact, there has been rumors circulating that maybe the brands he's an ambassador for didn't much appreciate that Twitter exchange. No, yeah. and no, they no, they should not have. They should not appreciate it. They should be disgusted. And again, I go back to the fact that the reason why so many people consider Mark Weber's opinion at all is because due to his time in Formula One getting bullied by some mean German kid, many fans have turned him into a sympathetic character. But it's not yeah. just and that. He he portrays himself as an he, – he, he is always – He's a straight-talking, real racing driver. Yeah, that's that's the character that has always been portrayed of Mark Weber. Look – it hurts me because Weber was my favorite, was one of my favorite drivers going back from his first day in Formula One where he put a minority in fifth place. And you ruined that for me because you decide you want to be an idiot. I just, it's, it, it is not that fucking difficult to just be better. It costs you nothing to just be quiet as well. You, you yeah. don't have to comment. You don't have to have a social political commentary. Again, I can respect a driver who is just all about their own business and doesn't try and step into the realm of trying to make social political commentary rest they list sticking their foot in their own mouth or espousing some opinions that are just completely terrible. I would much rather have a driver who has nothing to say about anything important going on in the world than somebody who has something important to say about in the world and is utterly reprehensible. Yeah. And if you've been uh, listening to us for a long time, you'll know uh, where we come down on this. And if you're listening at this point and you think, dude, dude, why are you getting so worked out of shape? Maybe this podcast isn't for you. I'm just saying. It's 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 almost like if, if you're if this is uncomfortable, maybe there, there are never listened of, to the show before. There are many other podcasts, motorsport podcasts will either touch the subject or make a joke out of it at other people's expenses uh, that maybe you might enjoy better. I'm just saying, Mark, you're an idiot. You should apologize. And also Mark was not the only former zero-time world champion driver to make a comment on this. Eddie Irvine, Eddie Irvine jumped in on as well. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's just, it's people who think they're being outsmoking and provocative and uh, subversive, but really they're not bringing anything new to the table other than the same old bot standard, hateful, bigoted bullshit that we've been used to. Yeah. So, so that's my piece on that. You're an idiot, Mark. You were, you were truly, truly, you were acting like a despicable human being. Be better. That's all I'll say. In better news, Naoki Yamamoto's got an F1 drive for FP1 and Suzuka, but still. Yes, weather, per- weather permitting, we'll talk about that in a second. It, Leaked a little bit earlier than Toro Rosso wanted to over the weekend, King. I, I think you mean uh, Alpha Tari. <laughs> yeah. It's not official yet. Next year. Not official yet. But yeah, they had an unlisted video making the announcement that did the rounds on social media, was taken down by the time it already circulated, and then Toro Rosso made the official social media announcement that Aoki Yamamoto is going to drive FP1 at Suzuka Circuit for the Japanese Grand Prix, your reigning and defending double champion of Japan's Super Formula and Super GT 500 championships. Yep. Honda's and, number one son finally gets a crack at F1. And just by giving him that opportunity, it's a hell of an endorsement uh, for an incredibly 
talented driver who is who's been on top of his game now uh stellar season in 2018 of course the first double champion in 14 years of both super formula and super gt in the same calendar year you could add a third super formula title in two weeks time come the uh the jaff grand prix at suzuka circuit a couple weeks later when you're partnered up with 2009 formula one world drivers champion jensen button and he is praising your ability at every turn you're pretty good yeah Yeah. well uh the monolith uh, has noted that Yamamoto has spent a lot of time in Taro Rosso Simulator and spent time with Taro Rosso at the European rounds earlier in the season to get yes, to know the Yes, at the German team. Grand Prix. Yeah, and they, they've also uh, confirmed that there have been talks about whether Yamamoto would be a viable driver for Taro Rosso next year. Look, at the end of the day, um, if it's just one practice session, that's a hell of an opportunity and that they might even consider a guy who is already, he'll turn 32 next year and Formula One teams in the paddock. Uh, they don't like to go with drivers who are already in their prime. They like to go with young drivers so they can build around potentially for 10 to 15 years. They get the heebie-jeebies going after guys in their late 20s and early 30s faster than you can say Brendan Hartley, but that's besides the point. Um, Yamamoto on his merit is good enough whether or not he will have an opportunity to get a drive who knows because you don't know if Toro Rosso or Red Bull will cut any of their drivers and if they do will there be a more experienced option available like a Hulkenberg or a Vettel who knows yeah Uh, I mean regardless for me regardless of if he gets a seat or not as you said it's a great endorsement and even if he doesn't get the seat kicking enough ass in japan please please just don't bin it on your second time lap please that's uh, all it, which of course a, it's a track he's extremely familiar with. i say there is no there is no <laughs> suzuka specialist quite like naoki yamamoto yeah. however <laughs> due to the incoming weather forecast all that experience well even all that might even all that experience might not be enough We'll get to that shortly. King, uh, let's talk about some Formula E. Let's talk shop in Formula E. We got Valencia testing coming up, and we got drivers being retained. Yes, we have drivers being retained. Mahindra revealed their livery for this year, including a partnership with ZF, because uh, they'll be making their powertrains from now on. But more importantly, they'll be retaining both Pascal Verline and Jerome D'Ambrosio. Whose press photo, by the way, looks like the uh, the poster for Step Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And yeah. yes, uh, also BMW has announced that they are also retaining confirmed EV nerd uh, Alexander Sims. Yeah, I-, I thought it was already confirmed that Venturi were switching to the Mercedes powertrain and keeping Felipe Massa and Aurora Matara, but, you know... I guess uh, I guess it wasn't confirmed up to that point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like s- some things are just s- such big open secrets that you just assume it's confirmed. And we also didn't know that uh, the artist formerly known as Neo Formula E team, they might be known as that, who knows, uh, basically just stealthily kind of implied, yeah, Oliver Turvey's staying with the team another year. Yeah, Oliver's back. Mm-hmm. Don't know who's in the second Neo seat, but... They got one driver. 
Yes, I believe that other Neo seat, the other Neo 333 or whatever the hell this is going to be called. Um, do we know who that other driver is going to be? Nope. Unconfirmed. No no clue, no hints, nothing at all. Yeah, this is, this is the one seat I'd say that we don't even really have an idea. Because again, Neo finished last place in the championship and sold the team. <laughs> I don't think anyone wants to see. Oh my god. So um let's talk about some uh let's talk about some uh IndyCar. Because uh oh boy, this one caught us by surprise. It's been in the works for months apparently, but uh Chip Ganassi Chip, Chip Ganassi, Ganassi surprised us all. Chip Ganassi likes winners, which is why he has picked up GP2 feature race winner Marcus Harrison. That is all Japan car. That is all Japan Formula Three champion Marcus Harrison. Same year Yamamoto won the national class, mind you. But yeah, this one caught us off guard. Rather than completely being out of IndyCar altogether, Marcus Harrison is going to Chip Ganassi as a teammate to Scott Ditson and Felix Rosenquist in the number eight car, a third full-time entry. Talk about Ganassi. falling upwards. Ah, oh, goodness. <laughs> uh, let's let's go to our uh, resident uh, Marcus Erickson stand, Ryan Erickson King, uh, for all the latest on this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Um I, I guess they just wanted to sell more Bork merchandise when that comes out. Um, well, as but, we as we found out uh, before the show from a certain IndyCar journalist, this has been in the works for a long time. Oh, you could say it's Chris. It's fine. Yeah. Chris talked to Erickson in Pocono. Yeah. And there were talks with Ganassi. Which, again, that was... That was a surprise. Also, Christ, I unplugged from baseball. Yeah, I, just, I, 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 I glanced. We're not, we're not, talk, not talking about it. We're not talking about it until they <laughs> go fuck yourselves. My team's not even in the playoffs. No, no, Cam. Have you seen the box score from the from the card? We're not Braves talking game? about no, it. King, not... King, hit me. Top of the first, 10-0, St. Louis. <laughs> Places you can find us, we're on YouTube. <laughs> what the fuck? I fucking hate this. <laughs> so, back on track. Okay, um, back on track. The one through. thing that I can say is that, you know, with Ganassi, he has... He has a common team. He has a teammate in Mark and Felix Rosenquist. Uh, that Swedish connection is there. It's a consistently better team than Arrow SB McLaren. And if nothing else, anecdotally, if Dario Franchitti could have a truly dreadful rookie year and then come back to win multiple races and championships, that anecdotally should set a precedent that maybe there's hope for Marcus Erickson to turn around. Because he had flashes, and it looks like he's really enjoying being there, but he's got to cut down on the mistakes. Yeah, I, I think it was the signing was less about 
Chip likes winners and more like Chip sees a diamond in the rough where he, he, he knows Erickson just needs some some more experience behind the wheel of an Indy car around these drivers and he'll put together something special. You also have to consider with Ganassi, the equipment isn't in question. Last year with uh, SPM, mm, none of the drivers did particularly well. And then there were also talks around uh, the reason why Canassi wanted a third car was the fact that the factory for GT program is winding down. And rather than having to let off, like let go of staff, rather just put them on an Indy car, on an Indy car entry. Which is exactly what Penske did when the RS Spider program uh, wound down and when they picked up Will Power. All I know is uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think Erickson got the raw end of the deal in the fact that he was uh, part of a rookie class that was extraordinarily good, uh, with led by Herta and Rosenquist. You rarely ever get two rookies finishing in the top eight in the points like that, especially in this day and age. Yeah, especially yeah, in IndyCar. The- yeah, in such a such a talented field, having that many rookies be that good. Erickson was kind of kind of forgotten. But next year in Ganassi equipment, he has a chance to shine. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. King, let's talk DTM. Ooh, let's talk about the DTM finale. Not just any DTM finale. The first competitive session wherein Super GT's GT500 cars competed on track in a race setting against the DTM field. At the Hockenheim ring, 21 cars, six manufacturers. Oh, and let's just say it was mm, hard from the get for for our Super GT invitees. Yeah, of course... GT500 and DTM run to similar regulations regarding the cars, but they aren't the same. Yeah, they are not the same. GT500 has a full-scale tire war. DTM does not. DTM has push to pass and DRS. GT500 does not. And of course, you can't let the GT500s just show up and run rings around the DM cars, so they were forced to run on the control uncooked tires same as dtm mm-hmm. and of course they didn't have push to pass or drs anyways Ooh, and it it was always they were always going to be at a disadvantage because you don't want them to affect a lot of things in the dtm field during their you know final race weekend of the season though the championship has been decided was decided before this weekend. Rene Rast is Rene Fast. Yes, uh, Rene Rast still Rene Fast. You, you don't want to head into the final championship weekend and you know again as Cam said, have the Super GT cars run rings around the DTM cars. Yeah, and- because if you had the GT 500s on their proper tires, they would spank the DTMs. Yeah, and you're putting the Super GT cars and you know a setup situation they've never had to deal with, especially yeah, with they've never the had push to the pass the, and the DRS. Like they've, I, never, 
Yeah, they've never had to set up for these track on these tires. Their mechanics had not prepared for DTM-style pit stops, which don't involve driver changes or refueling that give you more time to change the tires. That caught out Rayburg Team Kunimitsu in the Saturday race. Um, Some of the drivers, including Ryo Hirakawa and Sujio Matsuda, have not raced competitively at this track, ever. Combat the fact that it was raining and the Hankook wet tire was about as hard as diamond. Like, you can legitimately say the Super GT, the Super GT entrance were pretty much racing blindfolded. Yep. Yet, in the first race, at least, one man stood above all of that. As it turns out, Jensen Button is still good in changeable conditions. (laughs) Jensen Button was a monster in those conditions. Yeah, he qualified sixth. Like it sucks. It 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 sucks that because Jensen was already committed to the Baja One Thousand, he won't be in the Dream Race. Because man, he would have been so the Dream Race. Yeah, ended up finishing in the first race, I believe ninth. Which, if they were eligible to score points, would have only put them a couple of points behind, I believe Habsburg in the Aston Martin on the year. That's right. It's two points to Habsburg's three that he ended up finishing the season with. He did not add to his total in the finale. Uh, this was after a sl- a lightning fast by GT500 standards and terribly slow by DTM standards. 18-second pit stop that dropped him all the way to the midfield. He got some help. He charged his way through the field. He did not particularly like young Sheldon Vanderlyn. Sheldon Vanderlyn. Vanderlyn. Sheldon- was <laughs> Vanderlyn did not make friends that day no. on the racetrack. In fact, he got penalized for, I believe it was, leaving the track and gaining an advantage repeatedly. Oh, yeah. But through all that, Jensen Button fought back to finish in ninth. Less appreciated because it wasn't a point-scoring result or a top-ten finish. Rio Hirakawa came back from the back of the grid to finish solidly in 13th. That was pretty good. Considering the Nissan of Sujia Matsuda didn't even get off the dummy grid thanks to a broken prop shaft. Yep, died on the grid. It did not finish last, however, because the BMW of Aang failed in a portion of the way through the race. Yeah. The rain came back Sunday. Button can only finish about 16th. Cassidy got taken on lap one after he bumped into Jonathan Aberdeen and then nudged the concrete wall uh, hard enough to break the suspension. Uh, Kennerelli similarly struggled for pace. Um, they so this were kind of in, in changeable conditions. The GT 500s and the DTM seemed relatively evenly matched, but in full rain conditions, the GT 500s just didn't work on the Hankook tires. It was it was a bit sobering, but I think Super GT supporters can still feel very proud that they came into an entirely new scenario. Uh, they didn't completely embarrass themselves because, hey, even world champions drop it in the wet of the Saks curve. Yep. It is As DTM fair. made very clear in the memories of everyone. Yeah, um, and... You know, they have data that they can bring back to use when they come to Fuji. Yes, and I assume while, while you know, there will be far more DTM entrants making the crossing than Super GT making the, who came to Hockenheim, uh, I, I, 
the setup. It's, it's still like, going to be a lot. It, it's going to be the shoe's going to be on the other foot in Fuji when yeah. it comes to the DTM cars that Fuji Speed. Yeah, yeah because there will be others. Yeah, there'll be other advantages. You know, there will be more Super GT cars. DTM mm -hmm. cars won't have push to pass and DRS advantages. Still, they've still got to work with that hand-cooked tire that they're not as familiar with. Yeah. Yes, but then, of course, the DTM teams and drivers won't have any setup data for Fuji, just like the GT500 teams didn't have for Hockenheim. I don't know. BMW did go out and get a ringer. <laughs> oh, that they did. Yeah. Uh, so your field for the Fuji Dream Race from Audi, Rene Rast, Mike Rockefeller, Loic Duval, and Benoit Trellier for BMW, Marco Whitman, Kamui Kobayashi, and Alex <laughs> Zanardi. Insert BMW Toyota partnership jokes now. I think Oof. we did talk about that. I, I, I think, yeah, it's not. It wasn't Kobayashi's first interaction with the team either, because if we recall, he was part of the. Uh, it was part of the BMW Andretti Formula E team, if I recall, racing under a Monogas license. Noted Monaco native. Uh, <laughs> Very That's good. Greatest oh, Monogas no. Formula One drivers. Louis Chiron, Charles Leclerc, Kamui Kobayashi. Yep, it checks out. Checks out. Hey, he's speaking got a podium. Of, speaking of Formula E, can we need to talk about race two? Uh, <laughs> uh, pardon? Uh, a certain driver who won the final race of the season who won't be in DTM next year. Oh. Presumably, apparently he does have a contract to be in DTM, but he also have a he also has a contract to be in Formula E. Yeah, Nico Mueller won the second race after Rene Rast won the first, so for, that's first and second in the championship, but Nico Mueller might not race in DTM next year? Uh, like... I, I would need to look over the calendar, but yeah, he does have a he does have a contract to be in both championships. Don't know how it's gonna work out, but yeah. Ten fucking runs. Um we had motorsports, <laughs> we had we had news uh in the journalistic side of things. Um so I think we've uh, been keeping a running tab of how the Motorsport Network has been acquiring properties left and right. I think the biggest one was Haymarket Media when they got Autosport Magazine and F1 Racing Magazine as part of their portfolio. Well, uh, just a few days ago, Autosport announced that there's going to be a price change in their weekly printed magazine king. Yes. <clears throat> so... I believe starting next month, uh, the per issue cost of Autosport will be ten pounds ninety five per issue. That's uh, eleven. That's rounds up to eleven. It's eleven pounds an issue. What's eleven times fifty two? That is that is three times the cost that it currently is. Yeah, and apparently. It's said that this price hike is made to slowly try and bleed Autosport magazine, the print edition, to death after after nearly 70 years. Uh, man, man, oh man, oh man. It's not good. It's, I mean, 
and to add another wrinkle to this, uh, Zach Brown, yes, the same Zach Brown that runs McLaren, also chairman of Motorsport Network, announced he's going to be stepping down. This came in today as we were recording. Uh, I mean, I, I I guess there's no better time to leave than now. Yeah, apparently it was either. He, yeah, he was either going to leave or he was going to be pushed out, apparently, is what I'm hearing, if that's correct. Uh, I honestly, him leaving is kind of out of the blue to me. I had no idea that he was trying to be pushed off the monolith. I mean, on the other hand, at least we won't have to cry about, oh, oh, auto sports pumping up a cleared again. <laughs> uh, not that they need it. They've genuinely better been better this year, but man, this is not at Indianapolis. They weren't Indianapolis, notwithstanding, of course. Oh, man. Convert like, your units. King, it's bad because in the States, uh, we just had Sports Illustrated. Yes, the Sports Illustrated got half of its staff um, to basically bleed that magazine, that long-serving magazine, to try and bleed it to death. Uh, King, what do you make of all this that's happening at Motorsport Network? Oh, it is. I understand that Motorsport uh, Motorsport Network has a lot of investors, and they might be looking for some bigger profits based on all the investments that Motorsport Network has made into various different avenues. But it's, it is sad and unfortunate that we're pretty... It's, it's almost certain that within, you know, in five years' time, it is almost... 100% certain that Autosport Magazine won't be around anymore. And it is literally an institution that, to my knowledge, there's only one other publication solely dedicated to motorsport that is older than Autosport, and that's Motorsport Magazine, which the Motorsport Network... The one with the green cover. Yeah, the one with the green cover. The one that Motorsport Network does not own. And thank God for that. Yeah, so basically... Uh, the master plan may end up being that Autosport just serves as a website, a bureau to hold the end of your Autosport awards, and that's pretty much it. Uh, yes. We've known for ever since Motorsport and Autosport came together that, you know, you look at the articles between them, they're pretty much identical. They they are identical. <laughs> yeah. That pretty much Autosport is the British arm of Motorsport.com. Just pivoted over to uh to online which i mean just, that's entirely fair but and are limited on how many times you can view those exact same articles per month or unless you just click on motorsport.com yeah. yeah very sound business strategy by the way highly recommended <laughs> and like it it's unfortunate that uh, not only verbatim did they copy the news articles all the opinion pieces and columns that are behind a paywall on autosport.com are also behind a paywall on motorsport.com. And it's like, it was one of the few things that made autosport unique up until that point that they had their own opinion pieces and columns. Mm. Yep. It's just been subsumed by the monolith. I did also, uh, want to leave us in this segment with some very positive news. We have very good news. Um, Juan Manuel Perea is back, in his own words, 
posting on social media. Recovery is still long, but on October 3rd, a, a statement came out from him with his own words about his own recovery. He said on uh, October the 3rd here, um, these past few weeks have been extremely tough, tougher than anything I've faced both physically and mentally. I understand the future regarding the recovery of my legs, specifically my right leg is still quite uncertain and that my physical rehab will be extremely long and complicated. I'm still processing everything that has and is happening. I want to thank every single person who one way or another has shown me their support. I'm humbled by the immense number of caring and affectionate messages I've received. Thank you from the bottom of your heart and know that your encouragements and positivity have made a difference. Um, just a day ago, he posted a video from his from his hospital bed on his Instagram account, and he's still continued to talk to the media. Obviously, he sends out his condolences to uh, to the family of Antoine Hubert and that terrible, terrible accident that's, that's obviously left Korea in recovery, but Obviously, very good to hear that he's back and we can hear from him directly. Uh, it sounds like he's made significant progress. And we don't know if he'll race again after this because it's uncertain how his right leg will recover in particular. Um, but it's very glad to know that he's still here with us. Thank goodness yeah. for that. Also, mm-hmm. tangentially related, uh, the Hubert's uh posted on social media that they're that they were looking for uh Antoine's cart from when he was a child because when he obviously when he started growing they they sold it off uh quickly on social media they were able to find it and repurchase it that's amazing that's that's something special I, I know we can be we can very much incorrectly so feel callous about how motorsport fandom is in the social media age, but that's a glimmer of hope that you know they could help find that cart and bring it back to be a part of the family for for years and years to come fellas should we look ahead in the week of dead well there's there's one little news there's some uh moto gp news that we got from insider as okay. well as one superbike news <laughs> okay yes yeah, so Superbike news. Uh, Alex Lowe's coming to Kawasaki. <laughs> it's been rumored for weeks. It is now official. Ray and Lowe's back together again. Oh, Superbikes is looking good. Jonathan Ray's still going to win it. Yeah, he's still going to win by races. And MotoGP news. They've been teasing this for a couple of days. But on Thursday, we learned that it is indeed going to happen. MotoGP's coming back to Brazil with the brand new Rio Motor Park. Yes, the one that was, that was rumored to be the new host of the Brazilian Formula One Grand Prix will play host to the Brazilian Motorcycle Grand Prix. Mark Marquez is probably going to open up a home there. <laughs> he always does. I just... Why didn't they just, you know, keep the old track and, you know, renovate that? I understand the Olympics, but yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see how it'll come again, coming on the calendar in 2022 as MotoGP's calendar continues to grow and expand to terrifying lengths. 
So big. Calendar too big. So big. It is thick with 38 C's. Um, Before I go throw my flat screen television out of my window, (laughs) do we want to go to the weekend ahead? Yes. Because in addition, in addition to the petite Lama that RJ, myself, and other members of the M101 community will be at. The collective, yes. The collective. Bathurst, baby. The us. Happy Bathurst Day. Daytona has the same gimmick of calling themselves Daytona Day, but Bathurst no, that, they Day, ended that. They ended that, thank God. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. They ended that. Bathurst is happening. Watch it. It's always good. So many storylines going into this. Yeah. For instance, Craig Lowndes and Jamie Wincup are back together in a car for the 1,000 kilometers. Oh, baby. <laughs> could you imagine if, like, the Daytona 500, you had a two-car lineup and you could put Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson in the same car? <laughs> that's oh, basically God, the help same us thing. all. Yeah, that's basically your equivalent. Uh, Mark Winter, Rodham, and Stephen Richards are coming back together. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen might finally win the Bathurst 1000. So too might Scott McLaughlin, who is proceeding to lay the hammer to the entire field. And most importantly, the cast of Off Track with Rossi and Hinch are going to share a car together. <laughs> oh, Lord. And I don't think Alex Rossi is used to uh, Hinch being in a Napa uniform yet. It's still weird. It's it's still really weird. I think, uh, no, I forgot who, I think Rossi said, no, no, Hinchcliffe said this was the first car he's ever raced with a roof and fenders on it. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's going up and down the mountain. I don't know if I want experience in that kind of car. Yeah, if you get a chance to watch it. Um, please go ahead and do so. I think after Petit Lama, if we wrap our, if myself and Chris map up our, wrap up our respective media agreements uh, early enough, we're going to get the time to catch the finish of this, stay up stupid late and make terrible decisions. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, there will be many terrible decisions down in Brasselton. There will also be terrible decisions made in Mount Panorama. Yeah. We're just not close enough to it. And hopefully... Due to impending weather, there will not be a terrible decision at Suzuka because uh, there's a typhoon coming. Super a typhoon. Super typhoon. <laughs> typhoon Category five. With super triple typhoon. digit winds uh, coming in. Obviously, you do not need to. You do not need us to remind you the last time that Formula One tried to stage a Japanese Grand Prix during the middle of a typhoon to try and prove that their drivers could indeed race in torrential rainfall. We do not need to be reminded of that because we've gotten plenty of reminders of the fifth-year anniversary of Jules Bianchi's accident. What I'm hoping for is that the impact to the surrounding communities is minimal and that after that, we still have a race that it goes through smoothly and everybody gets home safe. The good news is we do have some good news that it looks like when the typhoon will hit Suzuka, maybe Saturday going into Saturday night Mm -hmm. could potentially shift qualifying to Sunday and run the race Sunday as is. Mm -hmm. But of course it's weather prediction. We can only predict. We don't actually know. Yeah. We have to wait for it to hit. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, the safety of the surrounding communities and the safety of the drivers and competitors. Um, I hope Naoki Yamamoto gets some laps in. Yeah, please. I hope I hope Seb and Charles don't kill each other with butter knives. Yeah, you know, I'm probably gonna stay up. I'm probably gonna stay up tomorrow night to watch FP1. Oh God. We're making all, FP1 most of our television. sleep schedules are screwed <laughs> this week. We are buddy, screwed. that's fine. <laughs> um we've also got world Superbikes at the valik circuit in argentina that's going to be our other big event we'll cover next week uh we might by the time you listen to this we might i don't want to put it to us just yet but we're discussing the idea of maybe having some bonus content re-record while we're at petite Le Mans. myself johnson cam uh everybody uh we could make something into that, whether it's a segment of a show or whether it's a bonus episode. Again, stay tuned for that. Um, we uh, we miss anything? Oop, no, I think we got everything. Uh, there is some unfortunate news that, and this may this this is not a good sign for DPI, but uh, we're losing one of the Action Express cars next year. Oh yeah, this Petit yeah. Le Mans will be the last race for the number five Mustang sampling Cadillac. Though there are rumors that the next year, well, not the year after that year, twenty twenty two. Yeah, that unfortunately has one really big prerequisite. We're of course talking about Ford entering DPI. They mentioned that. One big prerequisite might be uh, they want DPIs at Lamar. Uh, Imsa <laughs> can't help you there, baby. Yeah, and uh, when the ACO is already going to have to balance three different types of car under hypercar, being hybrid prototypes, non-hybrid prototypes, and then hypercar, road-going hypercar-based race cars. And then you're going to have grandfathered in LMP1Ps. And then you're going to throw DPI 2.0 in on top of that. Mm, I don't know. Yep. Just get your shit together, ACO. I'm tired of this. Huh. Oh. Nick one LMP2. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, the rest of the race was a fucking farce. We'll have more fun at Petit Le Mans, I feel, because we can enjoy it with friends as a family, a dysfunctional family that's absolutely going to get annihilated in Mario Kart 8 to bless. I said it. <laughs> Places you can find us one more time, youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101, twitter at underscore motorsport. Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. You can follow us at Harrison 101 HD, at RJ O'Connell, at Brian Eric King, at C Buckley 917, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. $5 gets you early access to all of our shows. $10 you can get in the supporters club of our Discord channel. And, and all of us rant and rave, carry on, um, and have a good time. Again, uh, we'll be back at least by this time next week, if not sooner, uh, for a recap of all the goings on 
Japanese Grand Prix, Petit Le Mans, Bathurst 1000, World Superbike set, Argentina, uh, for Andre Harrison, Ryan King, for Cam Buckley. I'm RJ O'Connell saying so long. Thanks for listening. Fuck the cards. <laughs> 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 he walked off the set. He walked away. <laughs> wow. This is staying in. Also, RJ, I'm going to blast you with that blue shell of Mario Kart. <laughs> wow. At least we're not the national basketball. Right <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs>